Good morning. It is a joy to be with you again today. Thank God for his spirit that is at work in this chapel. And I think you have some awesome worship leaders. Don't you think so? Can we show them some love? <laughs> They've been doing a wonderful job. We thank God for them. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to the book of Philippians? Philippians chapter 4. And we are reading one verse, verse 8. Philippians chapter 4, reading verse 8. And the Bible says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. And I'd like to take you also to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And I'm reading from verse 1 to verse 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, reading from verse 1 to 5. And the Bible says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are you able. For you are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are you not carnal and walk as men? For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers by whom you believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. May he sanctify it to our hearts that we might mature in him. Father, we thank you for this moment, for your people. Holy Spirit of God, you are here, but I invite you to help me today. Hide me and minister through me. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, both now and forevermore, and everyone says, Amen. What are you thirsty for? This is the question that kept coming to my heart over and over as I would kneel before the Lord in prayer. I thought I was doing so well. Things were going well in my local church, in my home, my family, and yet the question I could not evade. I recognized that the Lord was calling me nearer, drawing me closer, and it began a journey that I'm still on today, a journey that went upward. Attention to meditation, availability for solitude and adoration, worshiping God throughout the day. 
a journey that went not only upward, a journey that went inward, a call to consecration, a setting apart of myself for God's purpose. That consecration led me to understand that God wanted me to make a daily sacrifice, the sacrificial life. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, present your bodies. God was not only interested in my spirit, but my body. Genesis 1:27, he stamped his image upon man's body. And so his desire is that I be and you be image bearers, the sacrificial life, and then the spirit-filled life that God wanted to fill me. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. The presence of God in the life of a believer is treasure. He comes in spite of our weaknesses, in spite of our flaws, and he is able to help us live victoriously. The spirit-filled life, but then the successful life. A life that God is able to help us to experience where we overcome and we are not overcome. And can I take you one step further today? The, the journey is not only upward, it's not only inward, but it's outward. And so we begin the journey. In the book of Romans, chapter 1 and verse 14, the Bible speaks, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians uh, 3 and verse 14, it speaks of the natural man. And the Bible says that the natural man knoweth not the things of the Spirit of God. The natural man can be a religious man, a person that goes to church consistently but does not have a relationship with God. It is essential that we all have a personal, intimate relationship with God. There are many who come to chapel. There are many who go to church, but they do not know Jesus. It is essential that each and every one of us know Jesus for ourselves. I'm not going to get to heaven because my father is a pastor. I'm not going to get to heaven because my grandmother loved Jesus. I must know Jesus for myself. If you believe it, would you say amen? But the Bible speaks not only of the natural man, it speaks of the carnal man. And as we have read in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and I, brethren, the carnal man is a person who has accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. They may be saved, but not sanctified. They may know Christ as Savior, but Christ is not Lord. And so he's carnal. And according to the Word of God, the carnal believer struggles in three areas. Hear the Word. I could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat. And verse 3 says, For whereas there is among you envy, strife, and divisions. These three words represent three specific areas that the carnal believer struggles in. First of all, envy. The carnal believer struggles in his thought life. 
His thinking is wrong. His thinking is flawed. And as a result of having flawed thinking, his actions are wrong. And so he begins to envy, but that's not all. The carnal believer struggles with his speech. As a result of struggling with speech, he has strife on his hands. The Bible says that grievous words stir up strife. And so Paul says, there is among you strife. Why? Because careless words are being used over careful words. As we grow in God and grow in grace, we think before we speak. Because we understand that words can build or break. But that's another sermon. <laughs> and I'm not dealing with that today. And then, of course, divisions. His conduct is wrong. Time will not allow me to deal with strife and divisions. Today, I'll focus on envy. Envy is the natural child of selfishness. People will accuse pretend to be committed, complain, degrade, and seek to injure people because they are envious of them. Envy will stoop to use the meanest arts. People will utilize any measure, people who are envious, that is, to accomplish their purpose. People will invent things, flatter you, appeal to your good nature, while having a different agenda. Why? Because they are envious of you. Envy magnifies the supposed faults of others. And so people will magnify the shortcomings of others while painting themselves as perfect because they are envious of others. Paul says, there is envy among you because you are carnal. Someone wrote the following. If you wish to enrich days, plant flowers. If you wish to enrich years, plant trees. But if you wish to enrich for all eternity, plant ideals in the lives of others. And so God calls us to be men and women of value. People who understand that values are things that are important things that we should treasure, and our value should come from the Word of God. Amen? I want you to know that what I'm saying today is very important because the Bible says that the carnal man struggles with envy. As a result of wrong thinking, his actions are flawed. It was William James who said, the greatest discovery of my generation is that human beings can alter their lives by altering their attitudes of mind. And so what occupies your mind and what you think means more than anything else in your life. Your thought life will determine how much you earn, where you live, and ultimately what you become. And so we are encouraged in the word to think on good things, pure things. Your life today is a result of your thinking yesterday. Your life tomorrow will be determined by your thoughts today. 
So you can change your life by changing your thoughts. Harry Truman said the following, fame is a vapor, popularity an accident, riches take wings. Those who cheer you today may curse you tomorrow. There is one thing that remains, and that thing is character. Well, understand this. The things I dwell on will become my values or will help determine my values. And my values will determine my character. So we need to be very, very careful what we think about because what we dwell on, we will ultimately become. Charles Spurgeon wrote the following. A good character is the best tombstone. Those who loved you and were helped by you may not remember you when you are gone, but carve your name on hearts, not on marble. Carve your name on hearts, not on marble. And so I'd like you to consider with me today the subject, the journey outward, the journey outward. In the book of Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12, we read the following, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And so we are at war, not only in Afghanistan, and not only with ISIS and some of the other groups, there is a war being fought today. It is a spiritual war. We fight against an enemy that we cannot see, but is very real. The war is not waged against flesh and blood, against physical and material beings. The war is waged against spiritual forces. There is a devil. He is real. And while we do not seek to magnify him, it is very important that we be aware of his wiles, of his strategies, of the things that he uses to war against the believer. And so the believer has to be aware of three things. First, the charge. The charge. Coming out of the book of Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8, the believer is charged to think and practice wholesome thinking. And so the word think means to consider, to reflect, to reason, to ponder. And the idea is that of focusing our thoughts until they shape our behavior. The truth is, what we think we will ultimately become. Where we have kept our minds is where we will dwell. Our thoughts shape our behavior. As the Bible says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So Philippians 4.8 says several things. First of all, we are to dwell on that which is true. That which is real, that which is genuine. There are many things in the world that seem to be true, but they are not. They are false and they are deceptive. They are an illusion. 
a counterfeit. They seem to offer one thing, but in actuality, they offer something else. When our thoughts and lives are centered upon things that are true and noble and good, the peace of God floods our heart. If you believe it, would you say amen? Think about what I'm saying. The Bible encourages us in Philippians 4.8 to dwell on that which is honest, that which is honorable, that which is worthy of your thoughts, that which is revered and highly respected and noble. Barclay says the, re the word rarely describes that which has the dignity of holiness upon it. Yes, my friends, there are things in this world which are flippant and cheap, things which are attractive to the light-minded. But for those of us who have been called by God to do his work, to perform in his service, we are charged to dwell on that which is honest. But that's not all. We are encouraged to dwell on that which is just, that which is right and righteous, that which encourages good and godly behavior. The believer is to keep his thoughts upon these things so that his duty to God will be fulfilled. We are to dwell on that which is just, but that's not all. We are to dwell on that which is pure, that which is morally clean, spotless, stainless, chaste, undefiled, free from moral pollution, filth and dirt and impurity. This is where the mind of the believer is to be centered. Because understand, the things that we dwell on will help shape our values. And our values will determine our character. And your gift, whatever it may be, will open the door. But your character will keep the door open. Are you hearing me today? And so, my friends, I'm talking about the outward journey. And believe it or not, the outward journey is affected by what I think. So Paul says, you are carnal because you are still struggling in your thought life. And I see the fruit of your thoughts, envy. And doesn't the Bible say that by their fruit, you shall know them? And so the charge, the charge, we are challenged or we are charged to think on those things that are lovely, things that are pleasing and winsome, things that are kind and gracious, things that excite love in its purest form and kindness. We are to put away murmuring, criticism and grumbling and all those negatives, put them away and dwell on that which is lovely. And then the Bible says, whatsoever things are of good report, those things that are reputable, those things that are of the highest quality. Listen, what we think about is so important that God tells us what to think on. Your thought life is so important that God tells you in Philippians 4, 8, finally, brethren, 
whatsoever things are true and lovely and pure and of a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Yes, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think. Positive thinking is the answer. Positive thinking or dwelling on the principles of the Word of God is the answer to peace for the believer. Amen. The charge. But now the challenge. Are you ready for this? The challenge. We are challenged to memorize the Word. And you've heard it before and you're hearing it again. We are challenged to memorize the Word. It is in the Word of God that we find the things that are pure and true and noble and right and just and of a good report. It's in the Word. And while there are many books that you will need to read to secure your education, understand you are charged and challenged to memorize the Word of God. Why? The Word of God brings wisdom. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16, hear the word. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. The wisdom that comes through the Word it's not sensual and devilish, but it's pure. Oh, my friends, how we need his wisdom today. And the Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The word of God should be memorized. Why? Because the word of God is profitable. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, hear the word. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. The word of God brings profit. We need to also understand that the Word of God discerns the thoughts. It exposes the inner recesses of our being. Yes, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intent of the heart. The Word of God must be memorized. What passage did you memorize yesterday or the day before? Are you in the habit of memorizing? I want to encourage you. Make it a habit. Take one scripture and commit it to memory. Go over it over and over in your mind. For the Word of God will bring wisdom, and the Word of God is profitable, and the Word of God exposes what's within, but that's not all. The Word of God brings joy. The Word of God enlightens you. Hear the Word, Psalm 19, verse 8. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord, it's pure, enlightening the eyes. 
The Word of God must be memorized because the Word of God will cleanse you. Psalm 119, verse 9, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed to the Word of God. The Word of God will keep you from sin. Psalm 119, verse 11, Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. The word of God brings light. Psalm 119, verse 105, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And so we have the charge. We have the challenge. We are speaking now about the outward journey. We are talking now about living successfully and victoriously. And we are saying it's not going to happen by accident. It is going to happen as we allow our thought life to be yielded to Christ, as we invite Christ to help us in our thinking, because as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. One of the reasons we hear of these atrocities happening across the United States and the world, you know, many of them started in the thoughts. And so we must bring every thought into captivity and alignment of the Word of God. The charge, the challenge, but now the choice. The choice. A person who centers his thoughts upon the world and the things of the world will live for the world. And so the Word of God reveals to us the three areas that the enemy comes to tempt the believer. He speaks of the lust of the flesh. It's an area that the enemy is using, and he is using it very widely today, the lust of the flesh. And how many, my friends, are moved by money and wealth and lands and property and possessions and position and power and social standing and fame and a host of other worldly things, the lust of the flesh. If we center our thoughts upon these things, we will have a strong desire to do them. When people fall morally, it is because they have been dwelling on the wrong thing the lust of the flesh, and then there is the lust of the eyes. Oh, I spoke last night of guarding the eye gate. There are some things we must purpose in our hearts that we will not look at. Daniel chapter 1 and verse 8, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's meat or drink. The enemy, the king of this world, is still serving meat, flesh, and how many are defiled. And when you are defiled, you become ineffective. If you are to be used, you must be clean. And I'm glad that my God is able to not only save, but he's able to sanctify. If you believe it, would you say amen? Come on, would you say amen, somebody? We serve a great and mighty God. And listen to me today. In your youth, God wants you to surrender because it's in your youth that the enemy comes a-knocking. And if he gets you to taste 
some of the things out there. It might be difficult to get it out of your system. So before you taste it, make that full surrender to Christ so that some of the struggles that others may have, you will not have. The lust of the eyes, I'm talking about the pornographic filth that we find all across this world. It's all over the world. All over because the enemy understands the power of the eye gate. When you see some things, they come into you and they remain with you. And so, my friends, we are to turn. And then the word speaks of the pride of life. Oh, my time is up. The pride of life. The choice. But finally, the conclusion. In Psalm 1-3, Jesus compares a man's life to a tree. And here, my friends, uh, he says that we will be known by the fruit that we bear. In John 15, he gives us the formula for successful tree bearing. Hear what the word says. John 15, 4 and 5. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except you abide in me. And so if we are to be fruitful, we must remain connected to the right source. Amen? And finally, my friends, if we are to be fruitful, we must be pruned and disciplined. And I tell you today, there are spiritual disciplines that we all must embrace if we are to grow in God and grow in grace. I have no more time. And so those of you who are in agreement with what I said this morning, that it is essential that our thought life be lined up in full alignment with the Word of God, that you will dwell on that which is pure and true and noble and good. We need the Lord to help us, amen, that this will be a consistent practice for each of us. I want you to stand, and I'm going to pray. We are going to pray that the Lord will help us even in this area. Let us pause for prayer. Father, we pause to say thank you that you have so spoken to our hearts today, reminding us that you have not only called us out of darkness, but Lord God, your desire is that we become spiritual men and women, not carnal, struggling in our thought life, struggling in our speech, and struggling in our deportment, but that, Lord, our lives reflect your grace and your glory. And so help us today to so order our thoughts that you will be honored. Bless these students, we pray, in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone says, God bless you. Have a wonderful day.